You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Welcome to the Weekly Web Foot Review. We're excited about the Vegas Bowl, baby. The podcast that keeps you fresh with the latest happenings in the world of Oregon Ducks athletics. Oregon remains an extremely powerful national brand. Freddie and Luke and all the guys going back. Aaron, they've all had a big, big part of this. Now, here's your host. Our guys have done well in our approach, which is win the day. Jordan Schultz. Well, that's that, Duck fans. I am still reeling after Oregon lost to Auburn in the Advocate Classic 27 to 21 the final score Saturday night. Ugh, yikes. Yep, it's true. I mean, I'll eat crow. I said that I thought they were going to win over and over again. I thought this was their season, so I'll take it. I'll eat the crow here on the weekly web foot review, but that game has got me so upset. As a Ducks fan, this is episode 17 of the weekly web foot review. Jordan Schultz sitting in with you. Hit me up on Twitter on the air. Jordan with an O. If you have any thoughts or opinions, it's the only way I know who is listening and what people are thinking. So please take a minute. Find me on Twitter. Give your take on Oregon's loss to Auburn. It's on the air. Jordan with an O. And I assume a lot of people out there are as frustrated as I am. We're going to break all of that down. What happened during the 27-21 beatdown? I call it a beatdown because morally in the second half, Oregon was beat down. Uh, So we'll take a look at that. Then move on and preview their next matchup against Nevada this weekend. Woo-hoo. I mean, the Ducks are a 20-point favorite. So it's not like fans are thinking much about their game against Nevada. If you're like me, you're still replaying key moments from their loss in your head over and over. What could they have done better? That fumble Justin Herbert had in the exchange with CJ Verdell. What if that hadn't happened? A lot of things. I'll go over all of them and tell you why you can add my name to the list of fans calling for the head of offensive coordinator, Marcus Arroyo. The guy has not gone outside of the box way too many times at the University of Oregon. I can't stand it anymore. Talk more about that. And to wrap up the podcast, I'll give you a quick update on the men's basketball program. (laughs) Lots of good stuff happening there. So some good stuff to talk about for sure. And yeah, all right. You know what? Guess I'll take the gloves off here, Duck fans. I I am warning you. This is not going to be some soft take on Oregon football coming up with a cherry on top. I flat out do not think it's okay that they lost. Personally, I don't see this season as still being salvageable. For me, it was national championship or bust. And I think I was quoted as saying that quite a bit on this podcast. So I was putting all my chips in for the return of every single offensive lineman four of which are seniors, 10 guys on the offense total, Justin Herbert, senior Heisman Trophy candidate quarterback, top 10 NFL pick, seven guys back on D, 
I don't think this season is salvageable. It's national championship or bust. Not, oh, it would have been nice with this group of guys to win a championship. No. National championship or bust. Oh, let's just, you know, hope for the best now. Let's go to the Rose Bowl. Yeah, Justin Herbert's going to be playing in a Rose Bowl his senior season at Oregon. That's great. No, it's not. And I'll tell you why. When a team has the talent like Oregon does right now and a group of long-tenured players all together like this, there is no reason on paper they shouldn't have won out. I mean, where is your barometer as a Duck fan? Let me know. If you're just okay with them making a decent bowl game, you, in my opinion, don't care so much about losing to Auburn. Hardcore fans like me or ones that uh, kind of live and die more game to game with the Oregon Ducks, that really hurts. Still feeling it. Shouldn't you expect more, though, if you are just one of those fans that's okay with making a decent bowl game? Isn't that the entire reason fans in Eugene were so excited about the rise of Oregon football to the national spotlight? What good is being a national favorite unless you win? I I don't know what to say. I mean, I guess I have a lot to say, but I just, I've been thinking about this for days. I, I was like, you know what, Jordan? Don't tape the podcast immediately after the game. One, you would have heard me in about six or seven drinks to the evening and not really a great idea to tape a podcast out at that point. It would have been a lot of emotion. Four days later, though, it's still a lot of emotion from me. And I get emotional looking at the facts. So let's unpack this heartbreaker from over the weekend. Oregon dropping their season opener to the Auburn Tigers 27 to 21 after that late touchdown pass by freshman quarterback Bo Nix. That loss knocked them from number 11 in the top 25 all the way down to number 18. Seven spots. Surprised they didn't drop out, to be honest, after that performance. I mean, the Ducks started out strong, well, almost, uh, despite having a plan, I'm sure, for the first series of the game. This is something you practice over and over in fall camp. A timeout was called before they even ran a play so everyone could get on the same page. It was a bit of an early scare. A couple of my friends and I were turning our heads at each other like, what? But Oregon seemed to turn it around quickly. Ended up scoring twice in the first quarter. Actually, really cool plays. A nice long drive by Oregon to start the game. And then C.J. Verdell caps it off with a run into the end zone, basically at the one. And then later in the first quarter, new wide receiver, and I say new because he transitioned from playing tight end, new wide receiver Spencer Webb catches a great touchdown pass 20 yards out from Justin Herbert. Really set the tone for Oregon early anyways. At that point, I'm thinking, oh, this is the team that I'm used to seeing. I'm sure fans are thinking, all right, this is what we're used to seeing from Oregon. When they're firing on all cylinders like this, Justin Herbert looks like he's reading the defense well. Auburn looks like they're playing on their heels. They don't look very prepared. And then there was the drop pass for a touchdown that would have been a touchdown and a missed field goal. That happened in the first half. That was a bit concerning. But when Mario Cristobal addresses the media after the game saying that it was just better coaching, you know, that was needed to make sure those missed opportunities don't happen uh, literally twice in a row, a drop pass and then a missed field goal. 
I don't buy that. You can bite the bullet and take one on the podium like that as the head coach after a loss, especially if you're a college head coach as opposed to an NFL head coach, because uh, a lot of times it, professional coaches, if they're fed up, they'll call their guys out in post-game media. It, it doesn't really matter. They'll tell the reporters exactly what they're thinking, or they'll call a guy out that they're not necessarily happy with. Mario Cristobal standing up for his guys I get that. You're not fooling anyone, though, Mario, into thinking that they need better coaching to catch a ball or to kick one through the uprights. They need more reps, maybe. Sure, let's just say they need more reps, but coaching isn't a solution for dropping a ball in a situation like that. Coaching isn't a solution for coming in and trying to attempt a field goal. I don't care if it's your first one and you miss. Let's start off strong, kid. But even with those two missed opportunities back-to-back, they looked to be in control when they scored again. Going into the end of the first half with basically a dominating lead, I'd call at that point, because it was 14-6, to and Auburn hadn't scored a touchdown yet. Oregon looked like they were doing all right, maybe slowed down a little bit in the second quarter, and those mental mistakes happening to slow them down a little bit on offense, but Oregon's defense, they were doing great. Troy Dye had 15 tackles still to add to his total so he was a beast. The Ducks picked Bo Nix twice in this game. So Oregon looked to be doing okay going into the second half. Then, pretty strong, even with two running backs down at the time, C.J. Verdell and Travis Dye, uh, unfortunately, just some minor injuries. Obviously, C.J. Verdell coming back in. Travis Dye is fine as well. You had Darren Felix coming in, and Darren Felix looks to keep the Ducks in control when they scored again, he ran an end around midway through the third quarter, got them into the end zone, basically up pretty comfortably 21-6 at that point. And you're thinking, has Oregon changed it up here? They're on the road and not just on the road, but in a quote unquote neutral site game with a huge audience, not just in front of you, but the national TV audience, the Advocare Classic game one, where you've traditionally sucked against the SEC has Oregon turned it around? At the time, I thought so. That's when the train started to fall off the rails, though. Oregon would never score again after that. Bo Nix, who looked overwhelmed and under-experienced while throwing those two picks in the first half, balled his ass off and outplayed senior and Heisman Trophy candidate Justin Herbert for the rest of the game. The Ducks' offense just stalled. They were only good for around 70 more yards for the entire rest of the game. Was this Justin Herbert's fault or does this fall on offensive coordinator Marcus Arroyo? I blame the offensive coordinator. He's done this way too often. And his play calling changed dramatically from the first half to the second. I thought all my fears about last season about his inability to be in the moment on game days and deviate from his plan. He just wasn't willing to do that. And, and finally seems to be able to do that. I thought that all those worries that I had were gone. I was sitting pretty about eight minutes to go in quarter number three on Saturday. At that point, it looked like Marcus Arroyo just went into ultra conservative play calling mode. What the hell was he thinking? Trying to protect the young wide receivers that don't know the playbook? What, is he trying to just stay conservative and hope that he can hold on to the lead? 
You can't take your foot off the gas against a team like Auburn or any team in the SEC for that matter. And then because the offense couldn't stay on the field very long in the second half, Oregon's D got tired. They got winded. And that was the rip in the Ducks cloth that Gus Malzahn and the Tigers were waiting for. How comfortable do you have to feel as a team to, to hold off on a field goal and attempt to take a shot at a touchdown with no timeouts and under 30 seconds to go? And it's not first down. And it was all sealed when Oregon let Bo Nix throw a 30-plus yard touchdown pass in the end zone with basically single coverage on his guy uh, to get Auburn over the top. And the final score was 27-21. to 21. Even with a freshman under center, seemed that Bonex and company felt pretty confident about their chances to win at that point. And the Ducks were just pushed back into the corner. Ugh, it, it was so tough to watch. I was just sitting there basically gripping, and my hands were in my hair. I was quiet, silent the last two minutes or so of that game. Just worried that they were going to give it up, worried how they were going to give it up. I, maybe you can call that bad juju, but you just knew that something bad was coming. You could, you could just tell that Oregon didn't have it in hand. That's never a good position to be in as a team and never a good position to be in as a fan. And I have a lot of questions about how bad Oregon was at running the four-minute drill. Not being able to execute that in a game right after fall camp, uh, that is a major issue. And with a senior quarterback like that, and so once again, is it his fault? Is it Marcus Arroyo's? The offensive coordinator needs to go at this point. I can't stand it anymore. The guy has had so many play-calling mishaps. Mario Cristobal has to get somebody in there that knows what they're doing, that has experience in these big moments. You can't have your coach being like, well, in retrospect, there is no retrospect. There is no yesterday. That happened. Oregon's done. Their season is done as far as chances for getting into the college football playoff go. If you win out, you get the Rose Bowl. Whoopee. I'm sorry. I don't see that as a success for Oregon. Justin Herbert didn't come back for that. I think I'm starting to understand what the rest of the nation thought when Oregon wasn't getting put into the top 10 of polls to start the year and obviously AP number 11 to start the season. All of the teams above Oregon in the top 25 would have won that game. No question. This particular loss is going to stick with me for a long time. A long time. I don't remember much about when they lost to LSU. I don't remember much about their beatdown by Ohio State in the national championship. That was just kind of a blip because it went so badly for Oregon. But I will be able to recall this game with such clarity and where things went wrong for Oregon in striking detail. Exactly where. That was just painful to watch at times in the second half. I mean, what, what about the, the point where they had to call two timeouts and Tyler Shuck was supposed to come into the game and Mario Cristobal and the coaching staff think that a timeout buys Justin Herbert back in so he doesn't have to sit out after his, his injury for just the play. That doesn't work, man. Why are the coaches not on the same page? Why is somebody 
not aware of the procedure and trying to tell Mario. Nobody up in the booth knows what's going on. Nobody down on the sidelines, the 20, 30 staff that they have on the sidelines knows how that's supposed to go. You've got to be kidding me. Oregon is supposed to be an elite college football program. That kind of stuff doesn't happen to elite college football programs. You would see Nick Saban's head explode if Alabama did that. These are simple mental mistakes. And other mental mistakes, they had a lot of penalties throughout the game. Oregon ended up with near 70, uh, excuse me, 60 yards, seven penalties for 60 yards. Basically the same as Auburn, and you still lose by a touchdown at the end. You win the time of possession battle by five minutes, still doesn't matter. Mental mistakes, here's here's a big one to point out. Their third down efficiency was four of 14. The Ducks were terrible on fourth down, which is part of the reason why they couldn't get it done in the second half. So yeah, Duck fans, for me, this was, at least in the second half, a painful game to watch. And please, please, please do not tell me that it is just, it's going to be okay. This season is a bust. Justin Herbert's senior season won't include a run to the college football playoff. That's what I spent all summer getting forward to watching. What's the point of having a stud quarterback back on your team if they're just going to get to the Rose Bowl? Even that's a big maybe at this point, because personally, I don't think that Oregon can beat the Washington Huskies. I don't think this team is ready right now. And people have been asking me since this game has ended, did they lose because of the injuries at wide receivers? I really don't think so. Johnny Johnson stepped up, had a great day in Jawan Johnson's absence. Brandon Schooler obviously down as well. Micah Pittman not playing. Johnny Johnson near 100 yards and a touchdown. Already talked about the converted wide receiver Spencer Webb stepping up huge. That touchdown grab 20 yards out. C.J. Verdell had a pretty generic game, around 80 yards and a touchdown. The major problem was how hard the entire team hit the wall in the second half. I want to try and be respectful and say hats off to Bo Nix and Gus Malzahn, but I'm convinced that Oregon handed them this game. They have the big offensive line to compete against these kinds of teams. This was supposed to be the turning point against the SEC for Oregon. So, no, I just, I can't view this season as a win after that. Everything that they could do to get to their best case scenario, which is, like I said, a Rose Bowl berth, it's happened before, Duck fans. We've seen it before. I don't want to say I'm a little bored with it, but saying like, well, uh, maybe next year for the national championship, obviously not next year. It would be like three, four years from now, but oh, you know, maybe they can still get to a Rose Bowl. That team that we saw, at least in the second half, did not look good enough to get to the Rose Bowl this year. And that is a coaching issue. And Mario Cristobal knows how he can handle that. He can either take the play calling reins away from Marcus Arroyo, or he can find somebody else that, will understand what he's working with and know what to do in those big games. But all this hype just for a possible Rose Bowl berth? And if you say, oh, well, they haven't done it under Mario Cristobal, Jordan, I call BS. You don't always need to climb a ladder to get to the top. Examples, uh, Kim Kardashian. This is a great example as well. Tracy McGrady, uh, 
drafted out of high school into the NBA when he still played, uh, did an interview with ESPN, obviously a while back, but he talked about the first check that he ever had looked at uh, that was made out to him was for half a million dollars. So yeah, you don't always have to climb every rung of the ladder to get to the top. You don't have to go and get a win in the Rose Bowl if you're Mario Cristobal before you win a national championship. Not when you have a group of players as talented and experienced as Oregon does and the facilities and the money. Come on. The stability of Oregon's program, in my opinion, returned to normal when Cristobal led the team to nine wins last year. First season as head coach after all that debacle with Willie Taggart leaving and you know what, Mario Cristobal solidified what's going on in Eugene. I've already seen this team win Rose Bowls and Pac-12 championship games. But we have not seen them win a national championship yet. And that's why I am so upset, Duck fans. When that finally happens, when they finally get to hold up the trophy at the end of the year, the trophy that matters, maybe then I'll be okay with my favorite college football team giving up a shot at winning it all before week two even starts. But until then, you cannot convince me I'm being too hard on my ducks. They're super talented. And they should have been able to live up to that pressure on Saturday. But it seems at this point, the Ducks in 2019 are struggling with the same thing that the Ducks in 2018 did. Playing a full 60-minute game. Uh, All right. Well, there's my rant. I'll try and move on and look forward to the Ducks' next game. Thankfully, that is back home at Autzen Stadium against Nevada. I'll break down their return to Eugene coming up next. This is episode 17 of the weekly Webfoot Review. Jordan Schultz sitting in with you for SB Nation and AddictedToQuack.com. This is episode 17 of the weekly Webfoot Review. Jordan Schultz sitting in with you. We've been trying to break down Oregon's heartbreaking loss to Auburn 27 to 21. Of course, dropping in the rankings seven spots from number 11 to number 18. You know what? Let's just try to move on, uh, see if we can look forward a bit and feel a little bit better (laughs) inside, especially about Oregon football. All right, coming up, Oregon back to Autzen Stadium to host the Nevada Wolfpack this weekend. Uh, Nevada's head coach, Jay Norville. The game is a 4.30 p.m. kickoff on Pac-12 Network this Saturday. Fans are going to get to hear Roxy Bernstein. I always love it when he's on the call. Anthony Heron as the color analyst. At this point, Oregon, a 24-point favorite at home. Uh, The over-under point total is 61.5. Nevada coming off a last-second win over Purdue last week, but obviously many people don't expect them to compete against Oregon. Uh, ESPN's FPI shows that sitting at 95% uh, leaning that the Ducks are going to win. So a 95% chance that Oregon gets the win over Nevada. Uh, The Wolfpack, they do still run the pistol offense, but since Jay Norville took over, they have put an emphasis on the passing game, uh, trying to run a little bit more uh, flashy at times, but the emphasis on the passing game has really shifted since Norvell took over. Nevada does have a flashy freshman quarterback, Carson Strong. Actually, just like Bone Dicks coming in, true freshman starting his first ever game 
last week in college against Purdue. He threw for almost 300 yards and three touchdowns. They did get the win. Toa Taua, their running back, is a guy that's going to be catching the ball a lot as well as running. So a dual threat there out of the backfield. The Ducks really shouldn't be too worried about the Wolfpack D. Uh, they did give up 31 points to Purdue. So expect uh, them to give up a lot of points to Oregon as well. Probably more. I'd even say going north of 40 if they're trying to get their heads right uh, on the Oregon side. This is a good chance for the Ducks uh, to get everything back in line after such a heartbreaking loss. They need time to get their heads in the right place so they can turn around, maybe start the season over again in their heads. Just starting fresh is good at this point. Do what you can do, I guess. <sighs> Offensive coordinator that I want fired, Marcus Arroyo, told the media at practice this week that they need to open up the offense for the younger wide receivers. Maybe step back in this game as far as limiting what they do out there in a game like Nevada. Well, it's a great opportunity to do so. Uh, he always has an excuse, doesn't he? Always has an excuse for why the offense wasn't opened up, why he didn't decide to change it up in that specific moment. Stop doing that. Either go against your instinct from here on out, Marcus Arroyo, or just hand the headset to somebody else. Stop sticking to your script and just go play football. You can't plan for everything. And most good coaches are ready to deviate from their plan at a moment's notice. Yikes. I, I can't even believe I'm saying this. We're already looking at a step back game for Oregon. One game in. Start of the year is the number 11 ranked team. They already need to take a breath and get it together. It will be a legit chance for Duck fans uh, if Juwan Johnson is going to play. He is still day-to-day -day, uh, this week. If Juwan Johnson does play, it will be a good chance for Oregon fans to see what he can do in real game action as the go-to guy for Justin Herbert. Got to get him out there and got to get his feet wet. I would assume that if he does play, Herbert's going to be getting him the ball a lot. And you're still going to see uh, the other groups of guys that we've been talking about getting a ton of playing time and a lot of looks from Justin Herbert. Jalen Red, who had nine catches against Auburn, pretty good day for him, was very involved in Justin Herbert's offense. Brian Addison going to be playing more. He had a catch against Auburn. Josh Delgado actually started. Uh, the uh, one freshman starting uh, for Oregon. That was pretty cool for him, I'm sure. Uh, J.J. Tucker... He didn't play versus Auburn, but he'll probably see a bit of action as well as new addition, uh, Daywood Davis. He is listed in the depth chart as a cornerback, but after switching to that position in the offseason, he is taking snaps as a wide receiver. A lot of them this week. Once again, already recruited to Oregon as a receiver, but switched to D and now switching back for the time being. So, we will see, of course, on top of Juwan Johnson, still day-to-day -day right now, we will see how long the Ducks actually are without Brendan Schooler and Micah Pittman. Uh, Brendan Schooler, the foot, and Micah Pittman, the shoulder, uh, they're supposed to be out maybe six weeks, maybe eight weeks. Uh, that was from the middle or so of fall camp or so, a little bit after that for Micah Pittman. So we'll see how soon they can get back. Uh, J.R. Waters is going to be out the rest of the season, so... 
Who knows uh, how much Daywood Davis is actually going to play, but they need a lot of depth right now. They need it pretty bad at the wide receiver position. So I would assume that if Oregon gets a lead on Saturday, that he'll probably get a few snaps at that point. You got to get some people out there and get them some experience. This game against Nevada is a perfect opportunity to do that. And maybe it's an opportunity for offensive coordinator Marcus Arroyo to get his head right as well and to start understanding what he needs to do in big moments. Coming into the weekend, I guess it's worth mentioning, Oregon has won 14 straight home openers, also six straight games against the Nevada Wolfpack. So it should be an easy one for the Duckies, but it is college football. Anything can happen. Still, I wouldn't even bet on Nevada to cover the 24-point spread. I just wouldn't even take that bet at all. As for the over-under of 61.5, maybe Oregon will explode following that loss against Auburn, and they'll take all their frustrations out on Nevada. So I'll take the over. So once again, the Ducks kick off against Nevada, home opener at Autzen Stadium, 4.30 on Pac-12 Network. Hope a lot of people are going to be down there enjoying, well, maybe this podcast. You have it on while you're tailgating. If you do, chug one for me. I'll be chugging one during the game, uh, watching what the heck Justin Herbert does and watching what the heck their wide receivers do. Hopefully, they can get better, and hopefully their defense doesn't get tired like they did against Auburn. All right, let's switch gears to men's basketball. Just when we thought Dana Altman was done bringing star players in to fill all those open spots on the team during the offseason, there's more good news. This is episode 17 of the weekly Webfoot Review. Jordan Schultz sitting in with you for SB Nation and AddictedToQuack.com. This is episode 17 of the weekly web foot review from SB Nation and AddictedToQuack.com. Jordan Schultz sitting in with you, talking all Ducks football so far, reliving the loss to Auburn 27-21 and looking forward a bit to their game against the Nevada Wolfpack. That is Saturday, 4.30. Kickoff is going to be on Pac-12 Network. Roxy Bernstein with the call there. Got to move on to Ducks basketball, uh, men's basketball to be specific. More news to pass along after a very busy offseason. We've been talking a lot about head coach Dana Altman's ability to throw together a roster full of stars from pretty much nothing. Well, the team finally wrapping up recruiting at the end of August and just before the wrap-up filled with more good news. If fans can believe it, Oregon officially scoring two more players for this season. We on, I think it was episode 12 or 13 of the weekly web foot review talked about the possibility of Nafali Dante reclassifying to 2019 to that recruiting class and joining the team this year. Well, it was basically a two team fight, Oregon versus Kentucky for who would win his services well, Nefali Dante officially announcing that he will be joining the Ducks for the upcoming season. He is the nation's number three center and the ninth best prospect overall. Uh, great summer. He was first team all EYBL, led Mokan Elite to a championship in the Peach Jam invite. MVP there as well. 22 points, 18 boards in the title game. This kid's going to be a beast for the Ducks in the middle. And he's tall, too, six foot eleven, so that helps. Nefali Dante is actually the third highest-rated basketball commit in program history. 
Only Bull Bull last year and Malik Harrison back in 2004 have been ranked better nationally. So that was one player that Dana Altman managed to lure to Eugene. The second one in August, about a week or so, after Nefali Dante announced that he would be joining the Ducks, top Canadian prospect, six foot six wing, Addison Patterson. He actually also recently reclassified to 2019 and chose Oregon over offers from Arizona State, Maryland, Oklahoma, uh, Florida, Illinois, other Pac-12 school, USC, and actually more offers than just those schools. He is going to add some serious scoring to the Ducks front court. Uh, 24-7 sports, they've got a bit on Patterson. They say that he is, quote, an athletic shooting guard with good size for his position, a hard-nosed competitor who plays hard on both ends. How excited are you to watch the 2019 Ducks men's team, fans? Wow. Do you remember how bleak it looked? That was back in May, just a few months ago. Peyton Pritchard, Will Richardson, Francis Okoro were the only returning Ducks. And Peyton Pritchard was technically still uh, looking at his NBA prospects at the time, so technically wasn't on the Oregon roster. And even with incoming recruits, C.J. Walker, Chris Duarte, and Chandler Lawson, the team had a bunch of holes. So Dana Altman worked his magic in the transfer portal, got Anthony Mathis, Shakur Juiston, Loke Wurr. Also, the Ducks did get Eric Williams Jr. and Eugene Omarui, but uh, both must sit out a season before being allowed to play. Uh, I had thought, and uh, I think a lot of other people had thought that Eugene Omarui was going to get clearance to play this year, and I know I'd said that on an earlier episode of the weekly Webfoot Review, but I was totally wrong. Uh, Eugene is going to have to sit out a season in Eugene uh, before he plays, uh, gets time on the floor uh, next season for the 2020 season within Altman of the Ducks. So as of now, this men's basketball team, uh, their roster sits at 11 scholarship players. And a little cherry on top for uh, the news for Oregon men. This recruiting class Dana Altman threw together, they were just ranked the fourth best in the country for 2019. And looking at this, looking at this group of players, it is the second best all time for the Ducks. All these awesome additions thrust Oregon basically into a contender for the Final Four. I know I've been preaching that all offseason about the football team, and then we just had our balloon popped week one. All right, all right, I, I get it. But let me point out that the beauty of a long basketball season in the NCAA tournament allows teams to make mistakes along the way. I mean, look at how far Oregon got. They weren't expected to make the NCAA tournament. Ended up winning the Pac-12 tournament, getting a spot in the dance. Sweet 16. There you go. So I expect the Ducks men to be a top five team this season. We still have a ways to go, though, until that starts. The season tipping off Tuesday, November 5th against Fresno State at Matthew Knight Arena. So do you agree with me, Duck fans? Do you think that the Ducks basketball team is going to be top five this year? Find me on Twitter, on the Air Jordan with an O, and let me know what you think. We're in the thick of it now, though, Duck fans, football-wise. It was an exciting week one overall. A rough one for the Pac-12. Uh, quarterback KJ Costello questionable to play this week for Stanford. Uh, USC losing JT Daniels uh, for the season in their win over Fresno State. Very unfortunate injury, tearing his ACL. You just never want to see a kid do that, especially week one of a season 
where he had just technically won the job out of camp. We heard that from Ryan Abraham here on the weekly web put review, winning the job at a camp down at USC and then going down week one. What a tough break for a kid that I'm sure worked very hard. Uh, also, Chip Kelly and UCLA losing on the road to Cincinnati. And if you missed it last Friday, Oklahoma State beating down on the Oregon State Beavers 52-36 to in what was a runaway second half. So it wasn't just a rough start for Oregon, if that makes you feel better, Duck fans. It gives me no solace, to be honest. I find no comfort in that. I am all about Pac-12 success. And if the entire conference isn't doing well, I mean, I was already upset about how they were being looked at in the top 25 rankings overall to start the year. I want the Pac-12 to do good. So not a great week for the Pac-12. Hopefully, We'll see all these teams rebound week two. Hopefully the Ducks can get back on the schneid and get on the right side of things. All right, make sure you follow the podcast all season long as we cover Oregon in depth. And if you enjoy listening, please do me a favor. Tell all of your friends that are Ducks fans to download the show. You can find it on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, two very easy places to grab the show. I do this for all the Duck fans that want their news on demand. And I know that there are a lot of you out there would just love something in your ear while you're working out that don't know about the podcast yet. Pass this along to your friends. You can really help us grow. You listeners that have already found the show, and I appreciate it, can help us grow by telling your fellow duckies to download this podcast just like you. We're going to have some fun this season, all right? We're going to talk to some great former Ducks and some Ducks insiders as the college football season goes along. So please continue to listen. And thank you for those of you that have already on the weekly web foot review. So that's going to do it for episode 17 of the weekly web foot review. Hopefully episode 18 will involve discussions about a Ducks win. I'm Jordan Schultz, and I'll talk to you next week, sports fans. Go Ducks! Weekly Web Review Podcast.